released on Sunday, July 26th, 2015. This Agile Life, episode 91. Version 1 Spy. Yeah, hi, I'm, I'm the version 1 Spy. <laughs> <laughs> the software industry transforms more and more every day. Agile methods are quickly replacing traditional ones. The question is, are you agile enough? This podcast is devoted to agile and lean software development. Time to welcome your agile coaches on This Agile Life. Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Agile Life, a podcast about what it's like to be agile in the real world. My name is Jason Tice, the Agile Factor on Twitter, and joining me tonight, we're going to do an experiment, and that first part of this experiment is about allowing our hosts to introduce themselves. So, if you happen to be a host out there, you are joining us for our experiment this evening on This Agile Life. Could you please make your presence known? Hi, this is Natalie, uh, Ozzy Natso on Twitter. Looking forward to the show tonight. That's awesome. So, and again, tonight we're not going to tell anyone to do any, but anything. So if there's anyone else who would like to make their presence known, um, please speak now or forever hold your peace. What if I don't actually want to make my presence known? What if I want to just like lurk here and make nasty comments? Oh, so, uh, by the way, I'm Lee. And Lee, that is where I would ask you, are you a member of the team or are you not? That's a good question. Yes, because what if you have that person on your team who's lurking and not really involved? <laughs> so what we're going to do tonight, we thought we would do an experiment. And um, I'll share, I just came uh, an hour ago. I was at a Lean Coffee event held uh, in St. Louis, Missouri by the Lean Kanban group that I help organize. And we we have uh, monthly Lean Coffee sessions that are open to the public where you can come and have lots of conversation about Agile and Kanban and Lean topics. And so what we thought we would do tonight is have a little bit of that Lean Coffee conversation through our podcast for the benefit of your enrichment as our listeners. So I have the actual post-it notes from our real Lean Coffee session held at a Panera. And we're going to pull them here out in random order. And we're going to talk about them for about four minutes. For those of you that are not aware, Lean Coffee uh, was created by Jim Benson. It's a technique that you can use in a retrospective or for any kind of meeting, really, where everyone sits down at the table, everyone brainstorms some topics or some questions, and then basically you create a backlog. It's a, it's a discussion backlog. And once that backlog is created, people vote, or there's a couple other ways to get it started. Just basically pick a topic and start talking about it. After a period of time, we're going to use four minutes tonight. The group would vote. Do we want to keep talking about that topic? Thumbs up. Or do we want to move on? Thumbs down. So... That's Lean Coffee. Tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to do a lightning round. So we're going to talk about a topic for four minutes. After about four minutes, we're going to move on because we got lots of these. So um, let's go ahead and get started here. So I will pull from the topics at random. And the first one we have is, what is the most important metric for Kanban? Okay, so first off, when you're talking about metrics for Kanban, um, are you really wanting metrics for the flow or are you wanting metrics for your team? Is it important to actually have appropriate metrics for your team versus exactly what the Kanban is, is giving you? I assume here they're really wanting something specifically about Kanban. So uh, I would have to start with cycle time. That's, that's the easiest and, and the best one for, for getting information out that I've seen. Okay. Cycle time and Natalie. I would absolutely agree because I think to to your point, Lee, about, you know, what are you wanting it for? That probably gives you the most information for several things. Cycle time as far as uh, how many, you know, how quickly you can get the stories done, which also helps you plan for when you could get a particular thing out. Uh, So um, and then the the change in cycle time would also give you an indication of whether the team's getting more efficient and better as well. So it gives it's, it's the biggest bang for the buck. Okay, so, and, and I will share, as shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone who listened to episode 90, I agree wholeheartedly with that. So, but let's say, so you're tracking cycle time, and then if you're going to track another metric, so number two, what would that be? And there's no ideas. So that's, yeah. that's tough. Um, and I know we talked last week that the version one list had some interesting insights. And notice that we all said track cycle time, which was not number one on version one's list. 
I would guess, I mean, like it, it doesn't have to be specific around Kanban. The next one would be, you know, code coverage or anything is around standard practices because all of that still exists regardless of, you know, what practice you're doing. Um, so I wouldn't want to throw out all of those other things just because you're, we're, we're doing cycle time and that's the only metric we need. So I think another, another good one that's specific to Kanban is uh, time in a queue. So if you, if you can somehow uh, track how much time uh, cards are, st- are spending in any one queue then, uh, or one column, then that can show you where you've got some, some uh, extra capacity or lack of capacity or uh, some other issues may come up. At least you can start asking some questions. Well, and, and Lee, what you start to see there too is some elements of that well, number one, that would be fine-grained cycle time, so I, I can right. drill into it and see it at each state of my workflow. But then also, you may see elements of that, like in a flow diagram. So, like, is there a point where there's a like a long-running job and you're in your process where things pile up? So, I think one other thing that we mentioned at the at the Lean Group tonight, though, was again to keep your metrics simple. Lee, you should love this. So, we just shouldn't measure for the sake of measurement. But what I'd say is, you know, maybe beyond cycle time. Unless you're working on a specific improvement, that's what should drive your metrics. So, hey, we want to improve this, so how are we going to measure it? And then you come up with a metric. And once you achieve that goal, you retire that metric, except for your cycle time. I was just going to add another one that, that may be useful is uh, work in progress. Uh, that You may want to be tracking that, but that's more like a rule, but you could actually see some, you know, if, if if the team has come up with a predefined list of this is what, you know, we're limiting it to, but um, they may want to track that to see if there was, you know, great, uh, the cycle time was improved when they had, if they had a further reduced work in progress rule. Okay. Well, let's... Uh... Let's see. Should we move on a little bit? Have we have we done this one enough? Uh, maybe with our small podcast here tonight, we don't need to have four minutes. We'll we'll try. We'll try another round. See if something gets going here. All right. So here's another one about metrics. What are metrics that you would track that are good leading indicators? I think we've already said cycle time is a good metric. Cycle time is a leading indicator. Anything else? So this would be a metric that would be indicative of saying that maybe something's going wrong. And we could be proactive about doing something about it. And this is when we all think for a minute, right? I have a pet peeve on this one that that I like to track is tracking that teams are meeting their commitments um, because that is something that the team is, if the team is constantly unrealistic about what they can achieve, um, it's just poor planning and then it becomes demoralizing for the team because they're never actually meeting or meeting that commitment. So that's one that I like to track. Can I ask you a question about that? Yeah. So how do you track that? Like, do you track that? What, what if I'm a team I commit to, to get 12 stories done? That's my goal for the week. And then I end up actually getting 16 done. Do you well, that 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 leads into your planning is not effective, right? You're you're not accounting for how well you can you know execute on those things. So yeah, I I plan to what the team committed at the beginning of the iteration, um, and uh, we'll track to that, and uh, and at the end of it we evaluate. It's usually you know it's something that you can bring up in your in retrospectives to talk about the you know like we were on great, we estimated well where we were over, so maybe we need to bring in more stories the next sprint, or we were under, we need to reconsider our approach there well and i think the key thing i i appreciate you you saying that because i think that's a that's something a lot of people might miss it's you know we say did we make our commitment and we kind of we tend to answer that question in a yes or no manner and we only emphasize when we miss the commitment like so we commit to 10 we only get eight done uh, you're you're spot on with the exact behavior that i think sometimes gets missed to say that hey we over delivered which is great but that's a learning opportunity for next time so we can, you know, make a more realistic commitment. So I think, think that's awesome. So I have, a, I have a little issue with this, too, which is that if we, if we do that too much, uh, then I'm afraid we end up in the same situation that people that get government funding get into, which is at the end of the year, they try to figure out how to spend all their money because they didn't spend it all because, oh, my gosh, it's going to get taken away. Um, or or I'm, I don't want to, to overcommit and to really try to hit my, the, my commitment mark exactly. So I'm going to 
overestimate what I think uh, things are going to be, you know, and, and this has been a classic thing and I, uh, for, for decades with software development. And, uh, and I think this may perpetuate it. You think the discussion would perpetuate it? Not the discussion, the, the idea of, um, of having to the very, the very idea that we have a, um, a set number that we're going to try to hit right over a given period of time when we don't really know what, what may or may come up at that time. Cause let's be honest at the end of that week or two week iteration, what it is, whatever it is. And you look back on it, one, one iteration you'll get great. And. Oh, and the and, lean car, our high tech yeah. lean coffee timer went off. So Lee, Lee, wrap it up. What are you saying? Okay. So at one point you'll get the, uh, uh, the great one iteration, you'll get a great uh, uh, group of stories and you got them done ahead of time. And the next iteration, you got these ones that were a little tougher than you expected and you didn't. And you talk about it and that's exactly what, what people will just say. Oh, these were really easy stories. We didn't know they were going to be easy. Oh, these were really hard stories. We didn't know they were going to be. Oh, we had this one story that really screwed us up. Okay, you've made excuses. What does that buy you? Okay, well... Guess what? It's time to move on. We've talked about that topic. And so, uh, Lean Coffee, we're going to pull another topic from the deck and we'll have another short conversation about it. So this topic should be interesting and I think is a whole podcast. It says, how to transition from waterfall to agile? Version one police. What the? The version one police are here. Who, 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 who is, is that? Whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought. Well, I thought we started. I said, "Who is here? Please introduce yourself." And there were only two other people. So, mm, mystery guest. Mystery guest. So, John Sextro has arrived. John Sextro. John, did you get a new job for version one? Are you here to lay down the law? Yes, exactly. Wow. Just kidding. Okay. Well, so John's here. John's here. And so we're, John's going to join us for Lean Coffee. And um, I need to get the, the very high-tech clock out. And so let's discuss. Uh, if, we've gonna, if we're going to give a four-minute talk about to someone, how do we transition from Waterfall to Agile? What would you say? Natalie, why don't you get, to get us started? Yeah. So I, because we've only got four minutes, I have to say what I think is the most important thing in uh, an Agile transformation, and that's leadership buy-in, senior leadership buy-in. Without that, um, it's just a struggle and people will give up if you don't have that um, high level support and sponsorship. Uh, it often just is is way too hard. Okay. So if you're going from Agile, I mean, from Waterfall to Agile, who would go from Agile to Waterfall? Um, I think that whoever is, is supporting that groundswell needs to heavily work uh, senior leadership before they even start. So I would like to add to that, that uh, what I found is don't necessarily go all, all in all at one time unless you're ready for it, unless you've got some serious help. If you're trying to do this as a, uh, on a team basis, or if you're trying to do this as a, uh, uh, in your company overall, expect it to take a while. This is not something that's going to happen overnight. Uh, pick, pick something, one change that you can make. I would suggest start with retrospectives um, and go from there. Uh, start figuring out what the next pieces are that you want to pull in and change one thing at a time and make sure you have those under your belt before you continue on to the next thing that you want to change. And, and just one thing I'll say, not to go back to um, our discussion about the version one survey, I approach this idea of transitioning from waterfall to agile as a journey. So you're kind of like, it's not like there's a point where you ever get done because there isn't like a common like state of this is what agile is for everyone that's the same it um it varies so mystery <laughs> voice do you have anything to say now that you're sure. here sure i have i have some advice i think you should you should use an agile and iterative approach to your agile adoption so start small um any improvements that you can make to your process regardless of what it is are a positive thing so start to make some small incremental 
changes to your process and the way that you're doing things and, and don't necessarily try and flip the organization on its head with something, you know, start small and, and work your way up from there. And I agree with Jason, look at it as a journey. I also agree with Natalie, you need some leadership support. And I think uh, Lee's advice of starting with retrospectives is a, is a great way to get things started in the small. Oh my so gosh. I, the, poli- I, I, the politicians here. He's like saying, everyone's right. Everyone's right. I'll, I'll vote for John. Oh, John for president 2016. No. So, so do you think there's any merit? And I'm just going to, as far as to doing a whole, like flipping it uh, just to feel all of the pain immediately. And then, um, and then working through that, because, you know, like that, you know, if you look at it from a length of time, it takes to make a significant change in a transformation is a lot of pain initially, maybe worth it to, to, to do going through your transformation rather than doing those small steps. I, I would say I wouldn't suggest that for, for one reason, the, uh, you can't tell what your pain points are if everything's a pain. Um, if you're if you're seeing if you're getting frustrated with it, and that's what I see with teams that try to do too much too too quickly, is they get frustrated with it, and then uh, they start abandoning stuff. They get they don't really believe in it anymore if they if they can't see uh, change and and helpful change. Instead, they end up with with uh, dropping it and oh agile was a failure because i tried to do too much too quickly yeah natalie i I would question why would we sign up for something that we know is going to be painful up front ah there's the high scientific timer Ah. i just wanted to say i was playing devil's advocate because we talked about the agile buffet the other week and and that was definitely a similar a kind of approach so yeah so all right so any any last words before we go on for the uh the four minute guidance on uh how to transition from waterfall to agile don't bite off more than you can chew, maybe. That's a sound bite. Okay, so let's go on to another topic here. And um, this one is interesting. It's a tool topic. It says, how do you put your stories in? And it says in Jira, and the, the card says epics and themes. So I think they're, the question here was about user story breakdown. So what do we have to say about that? So the first thing that I would ask there is, what exactly is the need for the story breakdown? And in some cases, I, I know exactly what they're going to get at, which is, well, we need these feature level stories because that's what the customer really thinks at is features, not in individual technical stories or, or uh, smaller chunks. So I, I, I know where they generally want to go with that, but how far should that hierarchy go? I've never seen it be necessary beyond a feature level. So mean- feature break down into stories and that's pretty much it. Okay. Interesting. Natalie, how about your experience with that? Cause this is where I know traditional scrum was, you know, feature story or actually it was Epic feature story task. Um, what are you seeing these days? So um, I would uh, encourage people to forget about the tool, Um, maybe go to something a little bit more uh, hands-on, use some index cards, organize how it makes sense to the team to see the work, and then think about how they can put that into the tool and not let the tool dictate how they're going to organize their work. There's there's an old axiom from... uh object, the best practices for object oriented development, one of the principles and it's, uh, the, the package, the package principle. And I think it it says something like the unit of, uh, release should be the unit of reuse. So think, you know, whatever you're releasing, that's the, those are the things that you, you should be able to reuse something to that, that effect. I'm sure if I get it wrong, somebody correct can correct me on the internet and say I'm wrong on the internet, but um, no, that, would, that would never happen, John. No right. one on the internet would tell you you're wrong. No, of course not. No, R- Renee Troughton will contact you on Twitter and, and say, what white paper was that? Um, I yeah. got it, Renee. I got to go. Uh, Renee, I know where it is. I, I'll send it to you. I promise. So, but I think so I, I, my so point what's your, is, what's your analogy? John? My, my point is that um, what, what you want to release should be, I think, the highest level that you uh you organize that. So if you want to release MMFs, if you, if you're focused on releasing minimal marketable features, then use that. If you are, if you're doing something else, 
if you need to categorize things in some other way for the purpose of releasing, do that. But just do do the minimum that's required to make sense for your project and for your team and for your product owners so that everybody understands what's going on and nothing more. Don't get, don't try to get fancy and, and use aspects of a tool uh, just because they're there, because all that's going to do is make things more difficult to understand. And I would also encourage people to use a just in time approach for putting story information into a system because you get a lot of, story and feature rot if you just have people banging stories in there all the time wait until wait until the last responsible moment to get all that stuff into the tool really see see john actually i would say something the exact opposite i would say You're wrong well i would say use the tool if you have a tool and again pros and cons of tools but use it as much as possible because you could actually measure like i'm amazed at teams that like well, here's our coarse grain backlog in Excel, and when stuff's ready, then we take it and we import it into Jira. Then we actually break things. I was like, if if you have a list, put it in the tool because then you could actually do you know you could do reports to say, show me all the things that have been in my backlog that I haven't touched in the last six months, and then as Natalie would say, delete them because they don't matter. So yeah, so here's the trick: never put them in then you don't have to run the report. Then you don't have to delete them. So my way is better. Well, mm, oh, oh, yes. Saved uh, by the bell. I was going to say, I bet there's an MBA in their corner office somewhere making a spreadsheet, John. And all I, all I want to say is I want to shut that MBA down because you hate those people and say, make it where the team can see what they're up to because they're using this. They're all on the same page. Well, we do remember have the voting system. Should we want to talk about this for another four minutes? Should we vote for? Oh, so who wants to keep going on this uh, this topic about story breakdown? Okay, we're okay. So we're We're all thumbs down. Not respecting us. Okay, so now um, I will pick the next topic on the poll. This one uh, is an interesting one. Um, I think we'll have a few things to say. It says, "Is it possible for one team to be agile and work with a non-agile team?" Not without ridiculing the non-agile team. <laughs> and without being ridiculed in return. Okay. For being cowboys and for being, uh, for having no process. Well, but our, is, I think the core here is, this is like the classic, um, reminds me, John, of that episode you and Craig and Amos did about building infrastructure with agile practices. It's like, what if the nature of your work because it, it's not as flexible as software, you simply can't retool and release every week. So suppose I'm working with a team that builds firmware for a, a like for an IC chipset, and they do four releases a year. Yet I'm trying to build software on top of that that chipset that I want to I want to use iterative development. How do you? What is the guidance we could offer to to align to that? So we have a couple of teams that uh, that are actually doing this right now uh, within our, our organization that are working with the mothership, and uh, and they there's a need to do that. They are still traditional waterfall um, and have deliverables on certain dates. And um, so what what they have their approach has been is providing a person on the team to be a buffer to sort of filter out the noise as far as because they they not attending the weekly status meetings. At for the whole team and filtering in when the work is truly needed. So they're still acting in a very agile way, doing just-in-time work um, and keeping the the uh, the more traditional waterfall teams at bay with communication and attendance at those meetings, but not fully interrupting the whole team. I, I would. Uh, I, I have. I have an idea as well, Jason. One and. Uh, I've done this before and I've, I've also seen other teams do this before as well, where you, uh, because, because you can't have the same sort of relationship that you can with, uh, maybe another agile team, you, uh, you can't get alignment. You can't get a reaction. You can't get quick change, quick reaction to change from a waterfall team. I'm assuming, right. Because they're, they're, uh, in, you know, they're in the analysis phase right now and they're not going to be in the development phase for another few weeks or whatever. And I need something right now. So I would look at that group as a dependency 
or as a, as an externalized dependency, just as I might look at my, um, my runtime environment as a dependency or something else where it's, you know, I need to have some sort of a stable interface to whatever that is, even if it's, uh, even if it's like a, a person that you're, you're interfacing with, but look at them as, as a dependency that you're not going to be able to change. And then you have to look at it as a, as a constraint as well. And then you have to, um, you have to work around that constraint. So you have to say, this is a constraint that we have and elevate that constraint so that it's clear to everybody. And, uh, and then just work towards trying to deal with that as a constraint. One, uh, one recent story that I heard from a team that I'm working with right now is one of their ex- external dependencies. Still another, it's another team within the same company, but uh, their story estimates were in the hundreds of hours size. And this is, yeah. So this is a team they had to, to work with and had to get some, something out of, and they're having some frustrations around it. Yeah, and the thing I was going to throw out there that I know some teams do, you know, because again, like suppose you're building a product that consumes, you know, data or functionality from something like an API that changes slowly because it's it's based on a mainframe or whatever. You know, the whole idea of, you know, fake it before you make it. Oh, the time is up. So I was going to say, because you can fake it, but then you run the risk of what do you do if they never make, if they never finish, if they fall further behind, because you probably can't release with the fake stuff. So. All right. Can we vote? Moving on. Let's vote. Moving on. Okay. Three down. Lee was impartial, so we're going to move on. Um, Interesting topic, though. So I think the way we had to say is there are ways to make it work. All right. So this was a – next one was controversial. We talked about this at Lean Combine St. Louis. It says, when do stories count as work in progress? Uh, when you're working on them. <laughs> okay. So what was that? Contra- contra- what was the some contra- context? That was the, this, this is the, this was a question that someone threw in late. I was the facility. So I, that's my lovely handwriting. If you recognize it. Uh, but they said when, I guess for the purpose of like a flow diagram, when does it count as your work in progress? And, and to me, this was, this was, we had an interesting conversation because this was symptomatic of, People who want to do work off the board, like secret work that's like not like their own work or it's not the team's work. And I would say my statement that I shared with the group at Lean Cobb on St. Louis was if a story exists, it, it is technically on the board. And it's if it's not done, it's part of your work in progress. You may not be actively working on it, but every item you choose to put on your board there is a carrying cost. So again, this is the if you have a backlog with a thousand items in it, you have a cost for every item in that backlog. I want every queue on your board to have a whip limit, including the backlog, so that you can't have these long lists that are expensive to maintain and wasteful. Do you think that they're asking about whip in in context of cycle time? So when does cycle time start counting? So whether it's sitting and ready and then gets to complete, that that's when it you know like it's from the minute it's it's ready to work and to the and or is it when somebody actually picks it up and says they're working on it? Well, and again, as as you at the Kanban group, we talked a lot about cycle time because obviously we have your true runtime, which is the amount of time that you're actually working on the work item when it's on the board through its life cycle versus the amount of wait time, which is important, Natalie. And I think that was part of this. Uh, it, it's still considered work in progress, even if it's sitting in a wait queue. Yes, yes. So, and to me, I love, because that's how you measure efficiency to say, how much time did I actually work on this story to get it done versus how much time did it wait around in various states between when I pulled it to get it started and when it actually got to done. And so I think there's, I think we should distinguish between a whip limit for columns on your board and when you start and stop the timer that you're counting for cycle time. Yeah. Because I, I would be all for a whip limit on the backlog column and the dev ready column or whatever, but I would, I would not want to count those columns into my calculation for cycle time. 
Well, I would say my, my simple advice, John, would be to say when the team pulls, when someone on the team pulls the card to start the first step of actually working on it, that's when you start the cycle time clock. I agree. Now, I agree. Okay, but interesting though, I know Natalie loves to talk about get Kanban or get Kanban, Joe Barnes, not get Kanban. I was wrong. So get Kanban. In Russ Healy's game, he does it kind of like the way Lean recommends, where when you add the card to the board, that's when you commit to it. And at that point, the second it's on the board, even if you haven't started it, it's in that ready queue, you start the cycle time or you start calculating cycle time. And and you can I can go I could go either way on that particular one as long as you have some consistency in how you're how you're doing this overall. Um I'm okay with putting starting cycle time, the cycle time counter when you go to dev ready or when, when you go to ready for ready to be worked, but you need to be consistent with that Yeah, and, and understand the repercussions. Well, and also just to be fair, it's like there's cycle time, there's, uh, there's efficiency we talked about, there's also lead time, which many times gets confused with cycle time. So, ah, clock went off. Have a conversation about it. Make sure everyone's on the same page. I want to add one other thing. Okay, let's uh, let's vote. Okay, we'll keep going. We'll keep going. Well, I I was just gonna say I like that it go the alarm goes off when Jason's talking. Always. (laughs) (laughs) So I I wanted to add something about the the pronunciation of get Kanban because where I'm from, it's that's get is a is a two syllable word. Uh, It's get get. Get up, get it's up, get a get con, get con, con it's get uh, can man, get, get can man, low <laughs> thing. Well, I'm, I'm concerned that Joe actually may have got it confused because of my accent. I it could have sounded no. like get combon when I said it. No, it was me. I, 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 I flubbed it. I did flub it. So okay. get over it. <laughs> Hashtag know your audience. So, um, okay, so we've. I think we finished this one um i think the best thing here make sure I, something that i think teams need to do invest time that make sure everyone understands what your metrics are especially if lee's on your team okay just uh, before you go on to the next one that that really wasn't about metrics well it was about whip whip is i know do you consider whip a metric you can count it but whip has a constraint yeah. if it's limiting whip. Interesting. Okay. But we talked about metric. Natalie talked about cycle time. So cycle time. We'll give it a new name. I, I brought it up. So it's, it's all my fault. fault. Okay. It? Moving on. Oh, gosh. Here we go. Is it important to estimate or make work items the same size? And I will share, Natalie, that this card comes from uh, someone we all know who I think is okay we talk about him. Uh, Brian Button in St. Louis, he's also involved the Agile Lines. He threw this in there because he wanted to hear what I would say about it, So, which you guys can all guess. But what do we think about it? Can you repeat the question? Is it important to estimate or make work items all the same size? Could you use it in a sentence, please? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm by, confused about the or. By estimate, do you mean guess? Here's the card. We'll look at the video. It says, <laughs> is it important to estimate or make work items the same size? Well, those are two two different things. Okay, so let's 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 yeah. in, let's talk to our colleague, Mr. Brian Button, and we'll we'll talk about that. So John well, if you're saying is it important to estimate, you could argue that. And then there's another argument that we could have around is it important that uh, stories all be the same size? And there's even an argument about saying uh, should we try to make stories the same size and not bother with estimating, or should we always estimate and not try to make the stories the same size? So you could interpret it, that question in any one of those four ways. Yeah, I would say when you're getting started, it might it might be a good idea. I think it's probably a good idea when you're getting started as a team uh, to figure out some sort of a nomenclature and and have some sort of a shared understanding about Units in regard to your uh, your est- estimating process using using a relative tool such as a story point 
to create some context and to give you an opportunity to collect a metric for Jason's sake so that some MBA in an office with a spreadsheet can bean count or whatever, right? I'm going to- Oh, I've missed you, John. (laughs) Time out. So your investors can manage the risk of their investment that's funding your software development at- Whatever, John. Okay. You're right. You're right, Jason, (laughs) of course. What do you match the risk of? It's so that you, so somebody can make money on stock, but ultimately you, you, you want to ha- establish some sort of a baseline. And then I think the ultimate goal is, is to narrow in on a, a very small range of, of relative numbers. So whatever that range is, it doesn't matter, but, but coming up to, if you, if you can ideally get down to the point where you, all of your stories are, you know, very close to being estimated the same then you've achieved you've achieved another level within the game of estimation where you've arrived at a point where you no longer really need to estimate because everything you're doing is is working out to be you know like within a standard deviation of each other or something yeah well and the thing just to mention too that Natalie said last time I called Natalie you can talk about this a little bit more is how you even said you've observed a pattern I've observed multiple times including with a team that Lee was on naturally once teams kind of get the rhythm they they get into the you know their development process all the stories end up being about the same just happens yeah and so that's where in short my answer to that that question would be yes it's important to do to do both based on the maturity and the of the team that that is actually working them uh, there, there is value in doing both, uh, but you have to be aware of how the team is currently interacting. And at any time that can change, you introduce some new team members or a new direction of work or new work that they haven't touched before. That starts all over again. That's a, it's a new common ground that they need to find. I would add that I would encourage teams to to rather than having a uh, estimation planning meeting. I will. I'll finish that statement. Rather than having the estimation planning meeting, have a story breakdown meeting. You still get to talk and communicate about the stories and to try to make them all the same size. Um, and that's a good way to start. If you want to throw in estimation at the part of, at the end of that, fine. But you don't have to. Okay. All right. How we, now this is the part of okay. So we're voting thumbs down. Okay, so this is the part of um, Lean Coffee now where if you're following Jim Benson's, we should say, hey, guys, how's it going? How's our lean? Is it is it like are we having a good conversation here? I need a refill on my coffee. Oh, I don't have any. I got, I got some water. So where's you're it? not allowed to have coffee. Amos would have beer. <laughs> so All right, we'll, we'll keep it going. So we've got a few more here. Um, so here's an interesting one. And I think this could be interesting because this is a real life thing that many organizations, unfortunately, still do. It says requirements gathering. When should this be done? At the beginning of your waterfall. <laughs> well, so so John, what the hell are you talking about? It's what it's. I'm not making okay. this up. So okay, let's let's rephrase the question. Um, requirements. It's like whenever you mention requirements, suddenly people that are used to doing agile get little ticks in their in their foreheads, and. Uh, uh, it really means figuring out what we're going to do in the next period, whether that's a one week, two week, whatever, figuring out what the features are that we want to get done, figure it, that kind of stuff. Basically, what it's saying is, when should we plan? I think that's what the real question is. To me, uh, requirements gathering is more akin to acceptance criteria. Uh, it's something that the that it's at the time you've pulled in this story, and the requirements for acceptance uh, are the requirements that you would use, you used to think of. And rather than doing it for all of the stories in the backlog, you just get the requirements for the the stories that you're working on. Well, see, I think that requirements, at least in the old way, were were basically. Um, what do I want my software to do, right? That's to me what a requirement is. And that comes way before we figure out what the stories are. Well, and the thing I just want to say that that I, we, we talked about this card, and this is a pattern that I know many of our listeners may say, they may see this. We'd love, And if you see this, tell us about it, because this is an interesting problem where the business, you know, does effectively, they design the application to get project funding to engage with IT 
they need to submit a document, a, effectively a you know a business case or a big use case document or something, and we're all shaking our heads. And then the the business sponsor says, "Boom!" Rubber stamps it. We'll do that. And then say, okay, now let's go do Scrum. Let's go do sprints based upon that big document. So if you're in an organization, like I think a few of our listeners probably are, where that's their reality, what guidance can we offer? Get out. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Let me, can I play forensic psychologist for just a second? Sure, go for it. Lee, can, can I be anointed a forensic psychologist for a second? Sure, doctor. Thank you. Thank you, doctor. Uh, so I think the, I think the root, the root of this, uh, this question is really someone has some pent up anger about the fact that there's no room for requirements anymore in an agile process. This probably came from one of those BAs that I, I tried to fire, you know, where they, they're like, well, there's no time anymore to gather requirements. And, um, I think the, the, the asking of this question completely and entirely misses the point because we are always and forever gathering requirements. Every time we sit down and we look at the software with the users, we gather requirements. We call it feedback. Uh, every time we push out a, a new beta to our users and collect feedback from them, we get we are gathering requirements. So we're we're gathering requirements constantly, and and that's the real answer is we are constantly gathering requirements, and we are adapting to change, and that's why we use a. Agility. That's why we use agile practices is so that we can constantly adapt to change. If you think that you can gather requirements one time and be done with gathering requirements, you're wrong. That's what we tried to do for the first 30 years of software development in the world, and it didn't really work very well. Do you Amen, think that, that some of it is that, uh, that that we are gathering requirements, but that doesn't necessarily we mean we take all of those requirements. We reject some of them. Um, and maybe that's where sort of BAs have, have, in some cases, been traditionally in control of all that the software development team must do by providing this huge document. And it may be a loss of power. I think we, we definitely gather a lot of things, right? We go out and we gather, we gather, we gather, but then we bring it back and we... Um, I don't know what you would call it, but you you sift through that gathering and you decide what you need to do and what you're not going to do. And I mean, I think there's something deeper in there around the loss of power that BAs feel, certainly. Well, and and since we voted to extend this topic, the one thing I wanted to add is, um, and I I think about Amos sometimes when I think about this, is that, like, John, John, I really like what you said, that we are discovering requirements all the time and that that's true. But I think there's a, it's interesting some of the tactics we use to go about that because this is where maybe someone, one of those BAs you were talking about, wants to sit down and make a big document with all the minute. What I would encourage them to do, and I think we spend too much time planning, and what I wish we would do as a community is instead of planning, let's spend some more time testing and in particular for the, some of the roles on an Agile team, like a BA, that are maybe a little, they, they tend to be very focused on requirements and planning. Let's get them more involved in test activities. So if you look at what they spend their time doing, I would say maybe a dream is a majority of their time, like two thirds is spent doing real testing of the software to learn. And so they write better requirements and stories for the team. I can get behind that and support that. I would actually suggest that um, if you do have someone who has a function that is related to analysis in some way that they can do both business and quality uh, assurance work and, and should, that should be, that should be uh, in, in that job description. I don't think you need, you know, single, those to be single roles or, or full-time roles. If yeah. you I'll show John, I want, I want to try to somewhere do a measurement project where we, I try to get some data about the team's investment of total time worked between writing stories and planning and all that stuff versus the total time they spend testing. And I bet if we were to look at like a, a, a distribution curve of that time allocation, I bet it is so far skewed to all we do is plan, plan, plan and write stories. And I'm like, like, like we had the conversation a few weeks ago, 
your planning should be time boxed. Hey, we're going to get together and groom our backlog two hours every week or write stories or whatever. And then guess what? We're done. We only come back and write more stories if we run out. Other than that, everyone's coding, everyone's testing, everyone's like playing with the, the app to get feedback and learn. And that's what it should be. So I think we should have a future discussion on this agile life to talk more about exactly what we mean by testing on agile teams, because I think that there's a difference between uh, testing and testing from the perspective of a waterfall project and what you might have formally called quality assurance and the sort of testing that you would do as, as part of a, uh, an agile project. Yeah. We should probably like walk, walk the test pyramid thing that uh, Janet Gregory and Lisa, and Lisa Crispin have. So I don't know who those people are, but that sounds great. Okay. They have a beautiful picture. Of course. Anyway. They're probably consultants, right? They get paid for pictures. And the more beautiful, the more dollars. Lee wants to say something, but he's living conference call in real life. He's on mute. Yeah. So I think John has a great picture. Thanks. Have you seen his his headshot? Thanks, Lee. I don't know. I still think John. I'll send out autographed headshots if anybody wants any. John looks like Casey from Casey and the Sunshine Band. That's all I can say. Okay, this topic's dead. We're, we're waffling. Okay, we got to... Maybe we'll do a few more of these here. We'll see how we're doing here. So mm, Waffles. Um, yeah, waffle house. Okay, so that timer's going to go off. Uh, crap. I have my timer app here. We, we figured the timer app is like causing interference. So, how many more can we do? I think we do maybe three more. How about that? Three more. Okay. So, <laughs> is management the real problem? And if so, what can we, meaning like the team members, do? Boy, that's a loaded question, isn't it? It's real life. I think that what, I life. think they already know what the answer is. They're wanting, uh, uh, or at least they they think they know what the answer is, and they're wanting corroboration. Did Brian Button write that one too? He, he is <laughs> he is the management. What are you talking about? It looks very similar to that handwriting. <laughs> hmm, that's we nice. should not. We should not shame anyone for their question asking. I am just kidding. Absolutely. Okay. Um, but I mean, management can sometimes be the problem. Absolutely. I, I uh, think it can also be the excuse. What is yes. the problem? What is yeah, what, what problem? problem? <laughs> what problem? The problem in general, I think. I, I, I think, think it, it, I interpret that to mean the problem that they can't actually transform to an agile organization. And or I think if you say from the team level, this is where management is failing to give the team autonomy to enable self-management in organization. Well, that is a problem that management could could be um, exacerbating. But I think it's unfair to blindly say, and this is coming from the guy that wants to fire MBAs and BAs and all that sort of stuff. You know, you want to fire the management, John? No, no. I I think it's unfair to just uh, patently say that management is the problem. I don't know what the, I don't know what problem it is. Let's skip. This is a bad question. Oh, I I downvote it. Let's send it back to the product owner for a better for a better story. It it does not meet the entrance criteria to this discussion. I I have lots more. Okay, well then, fine. Here's another one. Uh, Okay, we'll reset the clock. So, sorry if you asked us that question. How close are you? So, real life. How close are all of us to a real pull system? And so, a pull system, just to clarify for our listeners, would be a system where we do not agree to take on more work until we have sufficient capacity to do so. So let's, let's how, and, and, well, is, and again, who's the us in that? I would say is any, so is any of us in working in an environment where we have a pull system implement a true pull system? I'd say that um, in general, in, from a software perspective, you can you can come up with what would be considered a pure pull system. Uh, it may not be as efficient as one that is not pure pull, because you're not you're not uh, you're not building automobiles. You know you're not you're not uh, machining widgets on on some sort of a thing from raw materials. And there's there's more thought that needs to go into the creation of some of the what we can call raw materials for. Uh, the the purpose of creating software and you're coming up with a 
what is essentially a new, a new sort of feature, which could be equated to a new product every time. Right. So there's, um, there's some, there's some thought work that goes up front into figuring out what needs to be on the board. And therefore you can't just drain, you can't completely drain the, drain your basket, you know, drain your, uh, work basket every time you've got to, you've got to be thinking to start pre-populating it. Go ahead, Lee. So I, I have to challenge you guys on something because I think there is a way to get to a truly uh, pure system here, but it involves not just being able to pull from what's on the board and what's been stuck in the to-do column, because uh, that's easy. I've seen that done on multiple occasions where you can get to a pure pull up to that point, but I think you could actually go further. I think you could actually have a pull system for the to-do as well, which is straight from what we were talking about before as far as uh, always having requirements, right? And, uh, and being able to look at our immediate feedback. And what, it, what if the, the, uh, the people doing the, doing the coding were also the ones that were picking out the things that they thought were the coolest things to do? And actually my pick, for, for today, which we'll get to later, uh, kind of gets at this, at a, at a place to do this. I know this doesn't always work in a business setting, but it can work. I just wanted to add, we, we've had some teams that, uh, that have been able to achieve this. My, my warning here is it takes a lot of discipline to make sure that you've got work come, that is ready to do in addition to, uh, you know, like having a true pool system. So it's a mature team that is disciplined that could actually you know, attempt this. Uh, so there's a lot of steps that you have to get through to, to actually be able to do that. Because it, it, what is the killer is making sure that there is work, you know, in the wings, ready to come in once they're, they have, you know, they've completed the work that uh, is ready. Jason, what do you think? Can, can software teams achieve a pure pull based system? Yes, totally. But my question for you guys is, I think though, as we've kind as Lee said, it does happen. I think in a lot of environments, so there's a lot of tendency to push, like assign work to, to, to people, uh, you know, say this has to get done this this sprint, whether, you know, or the, or the world ends, you know, that, that which is a pushing the work. Can you manage, is there any way to manage some push and some pull? Or is it like one or the other? I, I don't know. I want it to be... I would rather have it be just pull and, and not any push. Uh, I think in reality, sometimes some push sneaks in, but I think that it's kind of a, a thing that we're constantly uh, fighting against like gravity. Yeah. Or, you know, you're, you're, we're constantly fighting against gravity in this world and we're constantly fighting against people wanting to push work onto us. Yeah. And, one thing I was going to say is just real life, like may help a team if they want to try pull, they should commit to pull. And maybe if they have where the management feels they have to push work at sometimes, you know, give management a few gold cards every week or something. So, okay, time went off. What do we do? Vote. Who else talks I'd like about to, I'd like to hear what Lee had to say. Okay, Lee, so, Lee, we'll give you the last word. Oh, I feel so honored. Um, so I think you can get it if you provide boundaries for what business can provide. So if they if they can only push to the to-do column and they can't tell you uh, and they can provide priorities, which ones to, to put at the top of the list, but they can't uh, necessarily stop you in the middle or, or uh, push things uh, into, into the middle of your workload. Um, then I think it could work. Okay. So we got time for one more. I'm going to let you guys choose. So as I have been pulling my favorites out of this pile, and we didn't have a chance to discuss either of these. So, um, so the first one says, do all developers participate in estimation meetings weekly or only the tech leads? And the other one just says self-organizing teams, question mark, question mark, question mark. Let's ask our special spy from version one. Which one would you like to discuss, sir? Oh, uh, yes. I'm the special spy from version one. Um, I'd like to discuss self-organizing teams, please. Uh, okay, you may discuss that spy from version one. Begin, well, it, begin our conversation for four minutes. Self-organizing teams. Yay, they're great. I love them. Do that. Hi, <laughs> Do that. Self-organize. I'm in middle management. Fine. 
What do I do? What's my job, John? Go, go be in middle management at Schnooks. Where, at IT? I mean, knowledge workers don't need supervisors. Now, uh, if, you're, if you're a middle manager, you, what your focus should be is clearing roadblocks for teams. Uh, you should be focused on providing appropriate um, reward systems that incentivize teams and not individuals. And you should be focused on uh, helping people improve in their journey and their craftsmanship journey in software and providing them ways, uh, enrichment opportunities. Oh my goodness. More conference call to real life. Natalie's on mute again. I think I muted myself when I was about to talk. <laughs> um, so this is something that John and I had uh, actually worked on a little while ago uh, when we were looking at our teams to see uh, what sort of level of, where would we put them in, the, in a self-organization scale? And we looked at different characteristics of teams uh, to, to see, you know, like what are those those uh, characteristics that teams or behaviors that teams would have if they were they were on the path to self-organizing because it's not just middle management right it's that that the team uh, the core team has the skill set to be able to do all of the things that they need to and some key things that that uh, we saw was a, a clear clear vision and that's where the product owner comes in if there's a, a, a there was definitely a pattern that we saw with that when uh, there wasn't a clear vision the team was like uh, screwed on all all counts because they weren't they didn't they weren't clear on what they needed to work on um having uh, at least a couple of facilitators on the team that could help facilitate discussions because you know, Developers can be introverts at time, and sometimes it takes some skill to to get them out and to to speak their piece. Uh, there was accountability, keeping each other accountable. Uh, they had good communication skills. Uh, they were efficient at planning. Uh, there were and there's a host of other sort of skills that that we had listed that we were looking at teams to see were they exhibiting those skills or behaviors. Yeah, I just and one thing I think I, I mentioned at the Lean Coffee that I'll just throw out there that I have been has been wildly successful, I think. So if you, again, if you're struggling with the set, what is the challenges with management, try blocker clustering. So make sure that as a team, when you identify a blocker that's outside the control of your team, make it transparent and then direct leaderships or management's focus to it and say, hey, management, we need you to help us with this. And almost kind of set that up and, direct them over there and say that's what that's your job you know if and and hopefully we don't have any impediments but if we do and more than likely you will help us out because we need to stay focused on our on our stories and our work yeah but don't make us but also don't make the teams track you down and uh be part of be part of the experience of the team be around make yourself available and offer to offer to help take things on but but don't be pushy about it you know if if you think that there's an opportunity for you to get your your hands in there and, and help remove a blocker or do something, you know, do that. Uh, but don't make the teams come and have to hunt you down because they're busy. Lee, you've been quiet. Anything on this one? Or do you have? Not really. I, I thought you guys were great. All right. Well, are we, hey, did we get done early? We got, oh, oh, no. Three, two, one. And our timer will go off. So. So that was our lean coffee session for tonight. So again, uh, I know we mentioned it at the onset when we got started. We said this is lean coffee. Uh, if you want to learn more about lean coffee, Google it. There's lots of blog posts, and I believe uh, Jim Benson has uh, leancoffee.com or something. So, but a great way to have a meeting. Uh, we went through uh, by my count here. I think we went through nine topics tonight. And truth in advertising, uh, Skype gave us a few issues. So we we. When you guys hear this, it will have been spliced back together, so you won't even hopefully know we had some problems. But again, a fun way to have a conversation. So I guess that means it's time for everyone's part, favorite part of the show. This week's hottest picks. So who would like to get us started this week with some picks? I'll start. So uh, somebody may have, uh, have mentioned this before, but uh, I ran across it again and thought it was a really good uh, demonstration of a company that has built their entire uh, model off of 
100% pull right down to the point where uh, this is, I'm talking about Valve, by the way, the game company. And you can look at their employee handbook. And that's my pick is the Valve employee handbook. Uh, They have a statement in there at some point which says, hey, you know, we've heard that there are software companies that give employees a certain percentage of their time to work on anything they want. At Valve, that percentage is 100. So if you're interested in that kind of a model that really takes lean to its ultimate and agile to its ultimate uh, degree, check it out. It's really an interesting read. Interestingly... Lee, I'll go next. I, I'm real quick this week. I just have one pick, and uh, it's because I mentioned it a few times, and we've done it a few times recently, and I know we've done it, but Conference Call in Real Life, it's a YouTube video. It's funny because it, it, it's a depiction of what we look like sometimes in real life when we're on a conference call. So uh, so check that out. Um, it's, it'll make you laugh. That's a funny video. I'll put a link in the show notes for sure. So, John, what do you have? You want me to go next, Jason? Is that what you're telling me? I don't know. I thought I was asking for volunteers, but apparently I, right. I need to push some. I need to push my team to work faster. I will. Uh, I will pull the uh, the picks card from the board and, and go next. Uh, I have a. I have a bunch. First, for doing lean coffee style discussions, there's a there's an online stopwatch that I know Jason has used before, and uh, I, I found it again tonight. And there's a way to customize it so you can give it different sounds and. You don't necessarily have to use the bomb blowing up sound. You can also use uh, siren sounds and whatnot. So it's really great. You can pull it up on your computer real quick and then have a, a nice uh, stop stopwatch timer for your, 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 your lean coffee session that you're going to have soon. And it's looking like uh, Jason and I may be speaking at Agile Hood KC. So I'm going to pimp that out. Check them out, kc.agilehood.org. It's uh, not until October. And the details are still in flux, but hopefully that's all going to work out. There's an ambitious way to get invited to a conference. Let's just talk about it. <laughs> yeah, if I if I say it on the Internet, it must be true. Absolutely. That's right, John. <laughs> Bringing me to my final pick, which is famous cartoon XKCD slash 386. Uh, 386 is the famous duty calls cartoon. And it's uh, somebody is wrong on the Internet. So I had to put that one out there. Well, I'm sure one of us was wrong tonight, so I'll go next. Um, I probably this is probably a repeat because certainly when I brought up uh, uh, product ownership in a nutshell, it had been brought up many times. So this is another Henrik uh, Nyberg uh, animation uh, from Spotify in their engineering culture. Has it been brought up before? We'll say no. I know okay. I I know I've talked about it, but I don't believe it's been a pick. Yeah. So these there's actually a part one and part two. They're about 15 minutes long each, but really interesting uh, approach that uh, that is going on there uh, about what they're doing at Spotify. The next one is the most recent episode of This American Life, uh, which talks about uh, Numi. And it's a really, really good podcast uh, edition. Uh, so definitely take a listen to that. And I want to give a shout out to Joe Nauman for referring that to me this morning because I listened to it today. And uh, really thought it would be helpful. The other one is, this was a last minute edition because we talked about no estimates. And back on July 11th, Ron Jeffries had uh, a little article about no estimates that's kind of interesting about uh, whether, you know, is it defined terms around what what does estimating really mean? Is it story estimation? Is it, um, you know, is it guessing? So just defining the terms around that. So it's kind of cool. I'd like to see... I'd like to see him and uh, and our and uh, uh, his name is escaping me now, Jason. You're Zool. You're good with names, yeah. That Lee bails me out. I'd like to see Woody Zool and Ron have a good debate about that on the internet. So the um and Natalie, I have a gift pick for you. I have a gift pick after what you did on the last episode where you gave me that awesome video. I want everyone out there to go check out a book called Control Shift by um uh, it's by Mike Bonifer. And um, the subtext on the tell, it's a funny book. It's very practical. It's 50 games for 50 blanking days like today. <laughs> so it's a little bit of improv, a little bit of spunky stuff. It's kind of a way to have some fun at work, but uh, it is definitely a funny book. So that a bonus pick. But again, Natalie 
what that funny thing you did last week that made me think of that. So uh, go check. Are you referring? Out. Are you referring to Monkey on the Car? Yes. Yes. So, <laughs> okay. So back at you. Uh, I, I'm going to get you a copy of this book because it's funny. Um, or you've got the Kindle Unlimited thing, so you can read it for free on your Kindle right now if you want to. Check it out. Control awesome. Shift. Will do. Thank you. So, everyone, that's all the time we have for this episode of This Agile Life. We hope you've enjoyed our lean coffee conversation today. Uh, send us some feedback. Connect with us on our website at www.thisagilelife.com or just ping us on Twitter. And um, we value your feedback and we value you listening to This Agile Life. Thanks for listening and keep living This Agile Life. This Agile Life is brought to you by a community of agile developers and coaches aspiring to spread the word about this groundbreaking approach to software development. Join us at thisagilelife.com forward slash community.